Hello, welcome back to another episode of Recovery Friends Podcast, the cheesiest name podcast in the history of podcasts. Uh, today, uh, I have my, I'm excited because we have my AA sponsor, Tori, uh, to, um, he came in, told the story. It must have been about two or three, maybe four months ago. I don't know. I can't keep track of time anymore. Uh, but, you know, as I do, I've procrastinated on recording this intro. Um, but yet, here I am, finally recording it and hopefully releasing this in about 10 minutes for the listening audience. Um, so, yeah, Tori has a great story. Uh, he tells it really well. Um, he has more years sober than I can count, yet uh, still manages to have an enthusiasm for this way of life that I don't see very often, and it's really um, a great thing to witness. So um, I hope you enjoy this, and uh, with no further delay, I give you Tori. Okay, we are... We're recording. What's up, Tori? Morning. How? Uh, first of all, thanks for doing this, um, and um, I'm excited to record this. I've, we've been talking about this for a while now, <laughs> and it, you know, when you moved away, I was like, "Oh, we'll never get it done now." So I'm glad that we're getting this in while you're visiting. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um. So. Um, you and I are, um, you're my sponsor. I am. Yeah. And, uh, it's been, I mean, we haven't been working with each other that long, but you know, it's been really, it's been a real like pl uh, pleasure for me to uh, work with you for sure. And, um, you know, it's been a different experience and it's been very, um, you know, rewarding for me. I hope you know that. Oh, that's awesome. I feel like I could have. Could be doing a better job with you, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously me too. It's always, it's a two-way street, I think. And, um, you know, I don't call. <laughs> I don't call. Like the sponsor is supposed to call the sponsor, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the sponsor is supposed to set down uh, guidelines or suggestions too. But, uh, yeah. hey, man, I... I I love working with you, so it's it's been a it's been a pleasure for me. Yeah, uh, I get as much out of it or more than you do, probably. So I'm happy. Yeah, and we're both basketball fans too, so that's always that's true. <laughs> I think um, I uh, I have a few. I got one sponsor for sure that's a basketball fan. It will 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 he doesn't actually he's not my sponsor anymore. He moved away, but we would waste a whole session just talking about the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> go pels yeah um all right so um yeah i mean if um you want to get started you can you know it's um it's um you know, kind of free form so um start wherever you want um tori's here to tell his story and i hope you guys uh enjoy it and uh i know i enjoy his story every time he speaks all right well thanks andy my name is tori and i'm an alcoholic and happy to be here. I think this is my first uh, podcast, so <laughs> it's an interesting experience. Uh, 
Yeah, I grew, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Uh, neither of my parents were alcoholic, uh, but I think I had some alcoholic grandparents. And because uh, it, it seems to me like I was just genetically predisposed to alcoholism. I just got after it right from the beginning. I mean, in listening to people's stories, it seems like some people drink their way through various phases of being a moderate drinker, a heavy drinker, and then an alcoholic. And I, I feel like I was just there right from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, did, did you drink... Uh, so you're saying you drank, like, once you put it in your body, it was like crazy drinking? Yeah, and I just wanted oblivion right from the beginning. I did. It wasn't like, oh, I just want to get a nut, get tipsy and, yeah. and feel good. I, I just always went a bit too far. Yeah, I yeah. think I had that too. So it wasn't like you were drinking every day from jump. No. Yeah. I guess the first time I drank, I was, I was uh, 12. Nice. And I, I, I was at my uncle's house and they, uh, he went out with his wife for, for uh, a party somewhere. And so me and a friend were there and we just drank as much as we could. And I drank until I threw up and passed out and blacked out and um and then then i went on the wagon for a couple of years i'm just starting a stopwatch is a clock going up i'm sorry just so you know okay yeah (laughs) and uh and i didn't drink again till i was 14 or 15 probably yeah but I, i remember actually i i tell this story that when I was in fourth grade, the, the U.S. had a campaign going to try to keep kids away from drugs that was called Dope is for Dopes. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I remember like, in my fourth grade classroom, they had a little, there was a bulletin board and they had this thing about Dope is for Dopes on there. I went up, I was reading that, I was like, oh man, this stuff must be pretty good <laughs> <laughs> if they're making such a big deal out of it. I always and, wondered what came first, calling people dopes? <laughs> or calling dope 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 you know it was like dope and then like oh you're a dope head oh you're a dope <laughs> like a chicken or the egg thing <laughs> i think it's been called dope for a long time since back in the 50s or something but yeah i don't i, don't, I can't answer that question <laughs> but uh this dope was ready for some dope <laughs> but uh at an early age anyway so when i was 15, I think, um, I started getting high. Uh, I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia where the, the drinking age was 21. And ironically, it was easier for kids to get drugs because they were illegal than it was to get alcohol. So I, I smoked as much pot as I could and I drank when I could get my hands on it, but that wasn't always that easy at that age. Uh, but I like to say that drugs led me to the hard stuff, which is alcohol. <laughs> and uh, what, by the time I could get it reliably, when I was 17 or 18, I became almost a daily drinker. And uh, I had a lot of advantages growing up. My parents are good people. Both of them loved me, wanted nothing but the best for me, gave me, gave me a lot of... Uh, advantages. I went to good schools. Uh, I was smart. I did well in school. They, um, you know, really encouraged me. My dad was kind of hard on me. 
and at times I really uh, didn't like him at all, you know, <laughs> and I tried to avoid him and I, I felt always uh, like he didn't love me uh, or didn't love me enough. Uh, I'd, I'd bring home four A's and a B and he'd be like, what's up with the B? Wow. And uh, which I know now, but he just wanted the best for me. Yeah. He, 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 uh, he was very successful. He went to Yale. My dad did, and I think he wanted me to go to Yale, and he wanted me to, to succeed. And, uh, but I, that was not how I perceived it. I perceived... Uh, never being enough. Never being enough. And mm -hmm. so that became kind of a story that I held on to well into my sobriety, actually, that I'm, I, I'm not enough, or people think I'm not enough. Well, it doesn't really matter, uh, but it was a sense that I was not enough. And... Uh, so I did well in school. I wasn't that good at sports. And when it came back <laughs> to being a, a teenager, I, I, I think I was you know, horribly insecure. I changed schools a few times, ended up in a new school for high school with all new kids. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I was horribly insecure. I didn't know how I fit in. I didn't know how to talk to girls. I, I wanted to desperately to be cool and to be like I would look at other people and think, oh, man, that guy's so cool. How do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> you know, and I just didn't. How do you do that? Yeah, I just didn't. Uh, I didn't know until I found drugs, you know, mm. drugs and alcohol. And that would uh, suddenly it either didn't. I wasn't thinking about that. I didn't feel that way. I felt. I've heard people say you get the promises when you first start drugs and alcohol. You know, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll know a new freedom <laughs> and a new happiness. And that was totally true for me. Yeah. You know, I, I thought this is it. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I realized, you know, I didn't, none of this was really conscious, but I think I became willing at an early age to sacrifice almost anything in order to have that feeling of being at yeah. of ease and comfort, of being at ease with people, of being funny, of being the life of the party, of uh, being able to talk to girls and yeah. and f feel cool, even if I looked like an idiot, you know what I mean? And uh, so I I um I got after it in a big way. My my parents sent me to a a boarding school yeah, outside of Philadelphia. Was this because yeah. you were bad, or just kind of no? Well. They probably wanted to get me out of the house, you know what I mean? I think I was not uh, that easy to live with as a teenager. Uh, but it was also a really good school yeah. uh, where I, I, I had a chance at a really good education in high school. Not that that mattered at all to me at the time. Uh, so I got there and, and then the insecurity ratcheted up several more notches because uh, I really, I just had no idea how I fit or who I was or so I in an effort to be cool I would uh, there, there, at the time that people sort of divided themselves into the jocks and the heads uh -huh. and the the jocks were people who were really into sports and uh, doing be it doing the right thing and the heads were sort of yeah you know, was uh, what, what decade was this uh this was so I'm 61, and I was in high school in the 70s, okay. the late 70s. So I, I, um, 
so I, I wanted to be the headiest head that ever was, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I remember one night I, I thought it would be really funny to go, and I, I took a full vacuum cleaner bag off a vacuum cleaner, and I went and emptied it in this, this jock's bed, you know, and pulled the covers over it Damn. so he would go into it, you know. I thought that was just <laughs> so funny. Did he find out? Well, everybody knew I did it. But I never admitted it, oh. you know. Uh, but they knew, everybody knew I did it. The faculty knew everybody. But I was like, no, no, no. And, they, you know, they didn't have any camera footage or whatever. So, <laughs> But they knew. And then shortly after that, I, I sat down to do a little drinking with some friends. Uh, I had a bottle of Southern Comfort, which, God, was hideous stuff. But I, I drank the entire bottle in one sitting. And... Uh, like, literally, I did not stand up the whole time I was drinking it. But when I did stand <laughs> up, I went immediately into a blackout. And when I woke up, I was uh, in the infirmary. And, uh, and that day, I was expelled from that place. And uh, I was, you know, to be honest, I was glad. Mm. I remember my mom goes, you're going to wind up working in a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was like, I'm cool with that, man. There's, I don't want to ever feel that insecure again. So I, God, what do you think it was about the boarding school that brought it out so much? Well, it's just a very intense environment where you're with other teenagers all the time. You don't, there's no breaks. Yeah. You know? And for me, I was already insecure. So it just really. It's like a constant sense it. of competition, you think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, and, and uh, well, for me, it just, it just wasn't an awesome match. Anyway, yeah. I went, uh, from there, I went to the local public high school, and there I dealt with the, uh, those feelings by just taking an attitude of superiority, like, oh, I'm so much cooler and smarter than all these people. They don't, they don't know what cool is, <laughs> and, uh, and I made it through the rest of that time. I did pretty well in school. I, I was still drinking and getting high. I had, I had a few friends there and, and we managed to, uh, stay high most of the time. And then, um, and then I got into a pretty good college, uh, despite my checkered, already checkered past. I didn't get into Yale, but I did get into a good place and I, and I went there, uh, Kenyon College in Ohio and I, that the same feelings sort of came right back there. I didn't know where I fit, but I was super free there. Uh, I could buy alcohol. I was, all, you know, I think the drinking age was 18. And I think I was drunk every single night of my freshman year. One, one night I, I, I mean, well, I, the big book talks on page 30 about, uh, at times we seem to be gaining control only to, you know, later lose more control. Yeah. And I take that to mean like things would be awful. Then they'd kind of get better. Things would look up for a minute and you think, oh, it's not so bad. And then it would continue to get worse. Yeah. And that happened several times in my drinking. Uh, and usually it accompanied a geographic change of some kind. Yeah. So I, you know, I got to this place and, and I could be pretty fun, you know, when I was drinking. I was funny. I was wild. Uh, people kind of liked to be around me. Uh, and so I, um, and girls, you know, I was like, girls were, liked me. And I had a lot of luck in that, 
in like my first semester there anyway, until, you know, I just was drunk all the time. And uh, one night I fell asleep with a cigarette uh, in my hand. I fell asleep in my bed uh, with a burning cigarette and uh, woke up to the fi fire department, <laughs> pe people pulling me out of my room and, uh, and I, I almost burned the dorm down. Uh, that got the attention of the authorities there at the college, uh, and, and uh, I was sort of put on probation at that point. And uh, but but you know continued out the semester, and you know I had some great times there, some great friends. Uh, I, I joined what they had there called an anti fraternity. Mm. So there were fraternities, and then there was the anti fraternity yeah. that, that that had like girls were in it, and oh cool, uh, and. Uh, it was all like deadheads and uh, people like that. And I, I wanted to be one of them if I didn't totally feel like I was one of them. I, I, and they had an initiation uh, thing. You know, like all frats have initiation hazing yeah. or whatever. So for this one, you had to do two hits of acid and then <laughs> go to all around these uh, different stations all around the campus where they would try to freak you out with like skulls and weird movies. And, uh, and you had to drink a beer and smoke a joint at every location. Nice. <laughs> well, it sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Though. It's but, just funny how like an anti group is just the same thing. Just how like, <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> And, uh, but by the end of that night, man, I was like, in, not in a good place at all. It, 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 uh, for some it was like super fun and they laughed the whole time. Me, I got like, <laughs> I went into this very dark spot of like, nothing matters. You know, I could do this and I could do that and it wouldn't matter. I don't matter. Nothing I do matters. Wow. I just ended up in this complete nihilistic spot. And, uh, yeah, th and that's kind of how it went with them. My whole time, uh, with that, in that anti-fraternity was just like, uh, this dark, dark time in my life. Anyway, I went on, that was still my freshman year. Like, toward the end of my freshman year, I learned that my best friend from when I was age one to when I was age 16 had died in a drunk driving accident. He'd gone to college and he took off from a bar and hit a, hit a bridge abutment and died in a single car accident. Wow. My friend Teddy. And uh, man, I had done everything with that guy. You know, we had really uh, been very close, I was very close with his family. And, um, but we hadn't seen much of each other for the two years uh, between like six, age 16 and 18. You know, I lived in a different area than he did at that point. But, uh, man, I didn't even want to think about that. I didn't want to talk to his mother, who had been almost like my second mother. Uh, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to think about that. I, I don't know. I, I never, I probably never really processed that all the way. And, uh, and then two weeks later, the first girl I ever kissed, um, she died in a drunk driving accident. Was she drinking or was she? No, she was, yeah, she was drunk also. Yeah, it was her, her fault. I get, you know, fault in quotes. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, 
And you would have thought that that would have like woke me up a little bit, um, but it, not at all, really, because I, I went home for summer vacation, and I, and I was driving my car, my parents' car, with a couple friends. We drove down to Philadelphia, got shit-faced at this bar, watching some music, and driving back to... Um, driving, you know, we left and got out on Broad Street in Philadelphia, which is like this really broad street, you know, it's one of the main drags of Philadelphia. And I was driving along and a cop pulled up behind me. Oh, my God, that's weird. <laughs> and uh, I pulled over into the right lane and I put my hand out the window. I was like waving him by. <laughs> and uh, there was nobody else on the street. I was like, uh, but I was sure he wasn't after me. I was like, I'm not doing anything wrong. <laughs> and uh, he pulled me over. I ended up getting arrested for drunk driving and uh, ended up spending the night in jail in downtown Philadelphia. You know, I was, out, I was from out in the burbs. And I was, yeah, that's it, a rough... I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a cell with a couple guys who, who had... One of whom had already been in jail for like six years, he told me. Wow. So I was in there with some kind of tough guys and I was just like, Mother, get me out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, that happened to me whenever I got my DUI. I was terrified being in that. I mean, I spent the night, but just like in the drunk tank or the, the holding cell. And I was my biggest fear was that they were going to put me into population. <laughs> and I was that that and that I would have to like, like take a crap in that cell with all those people. I was just like, I hope I don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was supposed to drive my dad to the airport that morning, and oh, uh, that didn't happen. So he was pretty upset, justifiably so. Yeah. I'm sure I twisted it so it would be his fault somehow. But the uh, a friend picked me up, and we 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 got high and drank on the way home, and it didn't really make a didn't make an impression like drinking might be a problem for you, <laughs> or I just had a willful blind spot there, like I didn't even want to consider the possibility that drinking was the problem because it was still giving me mm. this sense of ease and comfort, you know, and, and like I said, you, you know, by the end I did sacrifice almost everything yeah. in order to just get that feeling for, even if it was just for a little bit, uh, it, it seemed worth it. How old were you? I was 19 at this point. Yeah. And, it's uh, so hard to, to think that like you're an alcoholic at that age. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I think I was fully qualified for this program at that point. I blacked out a lot of the times I drank. I got in all kinds of trouble. I was, my life was a shambles. Uh, but, you know, as long as it was still giving me that sense of ease and comfort, I was not even going to consider no. that it was a problem. Yeah. And so I went back to co college for my sophomore year, and that was just a very dark period. I just didn't, I didn't really connect with people. I had started like peeing in the bed when I would fall asleep drunk and I had a roommate and I was trying to hide it from him and hide it from everybody else. But I, I drank up all my money and I never had money to like wash my clothes or what, you know, so I just, I'm sure I stank and like, oh God, it was awful. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, just a horrible cycle of needing to drink in order to not feel so bad about myself and but not, but it stopped like really working in that way, and I, I just didn't. Oh, it was terrible. I couldn't. 
I think I, I, did, I didn't really go to a class that entire semester, and in the, uh, at the end of the, by December, they, they thought it would, I, I, I joke, I, they thought it would be best if I took the rest of my life off from that fine institution, <laughs> which it was fine with me, you know? Um, and I, um, wow. I, uh, yeah, I, at the time I was like, who needs this ivory tower bullshit anyway? I mean, I'm just writing papers that mm. hundreds of other people have already written before. What's the point of all this? I'm going to go do something real with my life, you know? <laughs> so I was always had a story where my, my current state was justified somehow, yeah. or it was like the noble thing to do. Um, and so I, I went back, moved into my parents' basement, and uh, was working, uh, digging ditches for a while. <laughs> but, uh, and, then I, and then I moved into downtown Philadelphia with some friends from high school. And there, like I said earlier, things got better again. Or at least they were fun again, mm. and girls were interested in me. That was kind of always the gauge mm -hmm. of how well I was doing, was how how well I could do with the ladies, you know, but I, um, and I was fun and I, I got, I got, I moved into a communal house with a bunch of cool people. Uh, one of them was in a great band that I love so much and we'd go see them and dance wildly and have fun and, and, and drink, but it didn't, I mean, it was all, st already still, you know, obviously still a problem for me, but it wasn't, I got out of that dark space I'd been in, and uh, it was like bright and fun again. Mm. And uh, and that went on for a while. I was working construction. I got you know kind of better at building stuff, and I I liked it, but I really could never the <clears throat> whole thing of like making it every day to work on time was seemed burdensome, you know. <laughs> And uh, I got fired. I got fired from a series of construction jobs for my inability to show up regularly, and uh, and that went on. And by the time I was 22, I became physically addicted to alcohol. So I'd wake up in the morning shaking, shaking terribly, you know. And uh, I uh, and I quickly learned that if I you know, had a couple of beers, that would go away, and I, I'd feel at ease. So I became a morning drinker. Yeah. And I'd go down to the bar at 7 a.m. and have a couple of drinks uh, with the other alcoholics, I assume. <laughs> I wasn't really paying anybody attention to, attention to anybody else. I, I tried to find the darkest bars I could where nobody asked any questions, you know. And uh, so I'd be in there uh, drinking. I, I'd have to... My hand would shake so badly, you know, holding the holding the, the mug of beer that I had to like pin it on the side of the bar to to get a few gulps down to steady my hand. And but eventually it would. Uh, and I really felt like I needed to do that because if I was working construction and some days I'd be up on a ladder and being up on a ladder, like shaking terribly is a horrible. Yeah, that's an awful place to be super scary. And uh um, but I put a few beers in me and I'd climb right to the top and I'd yeah. be, I'd be good to go until lunchtime, uh, when I would go, uh, go have a few more to, to keep things going. Yeah. I remember like 
my hand would shake so much. And if I was like trying to use a screwdriver and somebody was behind me, it was like, it made it worse. Cause I was like, <laughs> oh God, they're watching me. <laughs> You're trying to get that screwdriver into the... <laughs> oh God, it's awful, isn't it? Yeah. And so and then the whole bedwetting thing along with the shaking. Uh, and then by this time, uh, only the craziest girls would have any interest in me. I remember one girl saying that she she found the idea of being in a relationship with an alcoholic romantic, you know. <laughs> I mean, everybody knew I was an alcoholic at this point. I was like, all right, that sounds good. But I managed, I chased her off within a week or two. Yeah, she, <laughs> she was like, like oh, maybe I don't really want to be with an alcoholic. <laughs> I think she thought I'd be like... Um, James Dean. Yeah, cool. or Charles Bukowski yeah. or some like <laughs> deep guy. Oh, you yeah. know? But I wasn't all that deep. And uh, all the things that came with it were like a little too much for, I think. But I, um, and it just got darker and darker. And, you know, I, 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 I drank to be social. I drank so I could be around people mm. and be fun and laugh and dance and, uh, uh, and feel at ease with people. Yeah. And by the end, I was lying in my apartment by myself, shades drawn, afraid to answer the door, afraid to answer the phone. Yeah. Drinking by myself. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Whenever you were saying like it's it the uh, it got better, usually came with a new location, like a geographic, yeah. like. But new people too, and then towards the end, maybe it was like a, you alienated people, and you, and then I don't know. So that's what what I thought would. It's totally yeah. what happened. <laughs> it's totally what happened. As once yeah. they, because I could be fun, like I said, but then this dark side, and yeah. people didn't want to watch me like kill myself. Mm. People didn't want to be around that, and uh, I'm sure I said and did embarrassing things when I was drinking. Thankfully, I don't remember yeah. them all, but. Uh, um, that was where I found myself at age uh, 24. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think alcoholism, you know, I drank, I, I drank in the beginning and did drugs to alleviate uh, my anxiety. I, I read it once in a book, it, in an innocent attempt mm. to manage my anxiety. I didn't. All I noticed was like, this works. I like feel so much better when I do this. I feel so much more at ease. So I'm going to keep doing it. It wasn't like, I want to ruin my life with drugs <laughs> or uh, yeah. alienate my parents and everybody else in my life uh, through my drinking and drugs. It was like, oh, I feel better when I do this. By the end, and, and I could be around people, but by the mm. end, it was all 10 times worse. The anxiety was worse. Wow. My discomfort with other people was so much worse. So I think addiction does that. It like, it's a temporary cure that or a temporary relief for a pro that it that a, for a problem that it only makes worse with time. Yeah. And that that was the case with me. So I here here I found myself uh, living in center downtown Philadelphia, West Philly actually. Uh, dying, dying. I was. Uh, I, I lost a bunch of weight. I couldn't really hold food down. Um, I was drinking every day. And uh, anyway, after one particularly embarrassing episode, I woke up shaking terribly. And my, 
and I ran down to the corner and got two six packs of beer, came back to the apartment, drank them both, and it was still only like 10 o'clock in the morning, and I was still shaking, and I could stop working, stop working to take the shaking away. And I, I just said, what is wrong with me? And a voice came from within me that said, call AA. And I was like, AA? I mean, it was almost like that. It was like me having a conversation with myself almost. But I called AA. You know, I looked it up in the yellow pages, which we still had then, and uh, called AA. And it turned out there was a clubhouse just a few blocks from where I lived. So I stumbled over there, and there was one guy hanging out there. Um, it, there were no meetings going on. He was just at the clubhouse for whatever reason. He talked with me for a while, realized I was all wasted already at 11 o'clock in the morning. And he said, I think you need a detox. So he looked, called around and found a place that would take people without insurance. He drove me down there and uh, did all the paperwork to get me in there. Uh, I was a mess. I couldn't do anything. And then he spent about three hours with me. And I, I don't think I ever saw him again. I don't know his name. Wow. Um, He's an angel. Yeah, <laughs> he really was. And so I, I, well, every time I tell my story, I like to thank him. And uh, so thank you, whoever you are. And, uh, and, and the people like him yeah. who, do, who help drunks like me, you know. And uh, I, that, that's who I want to be. I want to be that guy. Um, mm. Anyway... You think that would be a good place to pause and then pick up? Well, I got a few little more drinking. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so okay. I went in and, uh, yeah, I wasn't done. I was done <laughs> enough to see that I needed some help uh, to at least... What, I, all I thought I really needed help with was to get the shaking out of me, to get past that point of needing to medicate the shaking. Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. Like I'd wake up and I'd be shaking. I go, I probably shouldn't drink, but I'd have to because it was unbearable. And did you at that point know that it was like how dangerous it is to detox, like just cold turkey like that? No, I had no idea. Yeah. No, I had no, no awareness of alcoholism. It was all, it was all this kind of a secret, or I thought it was a secret, you know, but I'd never talked to anybody about right. it. Like so you didn't know what a, was going on? No, this was all a private Wow. journey a private horror show you know <laughs> and uh so i went into this place and i paced back and forth for about a day and then i finally fell asleep and w probably slept for 24 hours woke up and felt much better i got the shaking out of me and uh they tried to get me to they gave me a big book actually and i I got to the word God, and I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't need that. But, and I, so I didn't want to go to AA. wanted nothing to do with God or AA. Or, I, 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 knew, I knew at that time I would hate AA. I mean, it was a given. It was just going to be full of a bunch of people I didn't like. and um, I would hate it. I knew that. And, but I went, um, so I left there. But with full knowledge that I was an alcoholic, I knew I was alcoholic. But I thought self-knowledge would be enough to fix it, that knowing I should never drink would be enough to keep me from drinking. And I, I left there really not wanting to drink, never wanting to return to that place of being stuck in that awful cycle of 
waking up, shaking, drinking, drinking till I got drunk, so drunk that I'd wake up shaking, not being able to get through the shaking without having another drink and just stuck in that cycle. And so I, I made it about a month. Um, I looked, uh, and everything got better in that month. I, I looked better. I smelled better. Had money in my pocket. Girls were interested in me again. Everything was looking up. So you would think, well, clearly, he, <laughs> I, you should never drink, Tori, you know. Uh, but my mind was going the other way. And after about a month, I convinced myself that that I could have a limit and not go over it, that I could set a limit for myself of three, three drinks, have the three drinks and then stop and I'd be just fine. And I, because uh, I'd never really tried to do that. Yeah. That was one thing I had. Uh, yeah. And I guess, how do you know unless you eliminate that option? I think, right. You know, <laughs> and, I, and I, a guy, a guy who owned the, uh, you know, I went back to the same, same apartment, same job, same friends, same bar. I would go to the bar every night that I used to drink at uh, and just drink club soda. Uh, and the guy who owned the bar was a friend of mine and he, he said, oh yeah, I'm an alcoholic too, but I just have a limit and I don't go over it. You know, I was like, I, at first I was like, that would not work for me. But after about a month, I was like, yeah, I'm probably the kind of guy that could have a limit and not go over it, which is a totally insane thought for me. But, uh, and I did. I sat down. So I, for my great controlled drinking experiment, and I had three drinks, and I stopped. And I made it the rest of the night without drinking, but that is like torture for me, man. I was just so, I was like white-knuckling it through the whole thing. It wasn't fun at all. Uh, it brought me none of the ease and comfort that I found in alcohol. Uh, uh, but it... Um, but I made it just to prove to myself that I could do it. But then the next day I was like, F it, I'm off to the races worse than ever. And I drank for another seven months. Um, and that was, a, again, a very, very dark time of just drinking by myself for the most part. Barely making it to work, barely hanging out with people. Um, all the fun was out of it. And it was just a, it was just a very dark, tedious uh, job at that point. And then I finally realized like, I'm going to die if I keep going. And, um, part of me wanted to just finish the job, just be dead. Because uh, I knew, I just was so sure that a sober life would not be for me, hmm. you know, uh, AA and all those goofy <laughs> religious people that I would have to hang out with. You know? And you still hadn't been to an AA. I'd never yeah. been to AA, <laughs> but I knew I, I could have passed a lie detector test that yeah. I would hate it, you know? Well, it doesn't help that, like, like the big book looks like they could, they could have made it a little bit more attractive. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an ugly book. Like it's just plain. It looks like a Bible. You know? <laughs> but anyway, so I... I don't know. I, at, at some point, I, I realized I, I got to do something. So I called the rehab that they'd been trying to get me to go to when I was in the detox earlier. And, and uh, they couldn't take me for three weeks. And I was like, that's cool. And I just drank and wrote bad checks for three weeks. Mm. And then um, stumbled up there on the morning of February 28th, 1986. 
and I had my last drink on the way up there, and I walked through the doors, and I haven't had a drink since. Wow. And so I've been sober for 36 years. I was uh, 24 years old when I came in the program. Incredible. Which is pretty young, but uh, I don't think I would have made it to 27 the way I was going. So yeah. I, was, I was fully qualified for this program when I walked through those doors. Yeah, your alcohol, alcoholism sure did seem to be progressed pretty far by 24. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know what I think helped get me to the bottom so fast? I didn't, like, sort of skipped over this, but uh, I did a lot of uh, drugs. Yeah. Like, mm. well, I guess it's meth, but we called it crank in Philadelphia. <laughs> we do crank, <laughs> which would help you stay up all night and not feel too drunk. Yeah. Uh, and so I could drink and drink and drink and never feel too drunk, which I think helped me get to that point of being physically addicted because I was drinking like inhuman amounts of alcohol that would have just knocked me out without the drugs. So I think the drugs helped speed me to the bottom. Yeah. 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 When I was, I got into like heavier opiates the last couple years of my drinking and that really like sped it up for me too. Yeah. So, all right. We're going to take a quick little break and then we'll be right back. Okay, back from break. Um, so, uh, where were we? So I walked through the doors of this rehab. Okay. And uh, and I I was given two gifts there. Well, one one gift I'd already received, and that was that I knew all the way down that I was an alcoholic. There was zero doubt in my mind that I was alcoholic. And at I, this point, you understood what an alcoholic was? Did you? I knew that I could not drink uh, yeah. without ending up back uh, in this horrible cycle of shaking and drinking. And yeah, which is enough. And like being alone. And, yeah. And, uh, and, that, and I think that not everybody has that when they come into mm. AA, you know, uh, but I, I was sure all the way down. And I think that, that, that really helped me because I kind of closed the door on that mentally. Like, there's nothing for me there anymore. Mm. Like, it's not never going to be fun again like it was. It, it just wasn't. And it was really fun for me at times in the, in the, for the, in the first years of my drinking. It really was. But, it, uh, but that was gone. Man, and it was by the end. It was just uh, totally. Um, it was a. It was just loneliness by the end. Yeah, and, uh, I like was. <laughs> so I mean, there was. I think I remember saying at the time, "There's like 51 percent of me that wants to get sober, and 49 percent that just wants to finish the job." You know. Yeah. And uh, it says in the big book that you know. An alcoholic death or a spiritual way of life are not always easy alternatives to face, which now that I'm living a spiritual life, is seems like an absurd statement. Yeah. But at the time... It's not an easy decision. It is face. not an easy decision. Yeah, yeah because he, you don't know what the spiritual life is. It just looks like nothing. It, to, to, me, to me, I imagined it to be, you know, I'm going to have to be like 
a conservative Christian or, <laughs> or everybody that I'm around is going to be like that and I'm going to be a fish out of water mm. and like the party's over. It's never going to be fun again. Um, it's yeah, just you... going to be all of, uh, stupid, boring and glum, you know. Uh, yeah, I was funny because I was thinking like when I got sober, I, I had rejected like this idea of God but I, but I still, when I got sober, I still was holding on to it, sort of speak. So like this, this idea of God that I had thought I had rejected was still my current idea of God. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah, atheists need a concept of God to not believe in, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, and that was another thing. The second gift I was given early on was I, I already told you I knew I would hate AA. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a given. I had serious contempt prior to investigation. But at the rehab, they would put us in a van and drive us down to uh, meetings in Center City, Philadelphia. And they took me to a meeting on a Friday night. And there was a very attractive, funny woman speaking, telling her story at the meeting. And I, was la I found myself laughing and uh, really liking her and looking around the room at all the other people laughing at the same things that I thought were funny. And it didn't seem like a religious revival of any kind. And, and about halfway through that meeting, I was like, I can do this. I like yeah. these people. You know? This is your first meeting? My first meeting outside I, of the rehab yeah. anyway. And uh, Identif you identified. And uh, that, that, I can't say how much that experience changed things for me. I mm. just was like, oh, I can do this, you know. Wow. I like these people, and I think I can, I think I, well, a lot of people say it, and it was true for me. You know, I felt like I was home. I was like, I can, I, I love these people. I can do this. And then a guy came in to tell his story at the rehab that sounded so much like my story. And, uh, and that also did a lot to uh, um, make me feel like I could do it, or mm -hmm. that I wanted to do it. You know, not that I had to do it, but that I actually kind of wanted to do it. Like yeah. there was something alluring in it for me, like something that seemed to, like an appealing way to live. Uh, and so I, when I left the rehab, uh, well, I did a few things differently. You know, I, I took direction that time. Like when I was at that detox earlier, I didn't want to do anything the guy suggested. But, you know, I was, because I'd kind of closed the door on drinking as an option at that time, I was like, oh, I'll do whatever they suggest. So I went to a halfway house. And uh, I, I followed that suggestion. And I went to this halfway house out in Upper Darby, PA that was really, um, I, I went in there and I felt very superior to everybody, um, <laughs> which is a problem for me that's plagued me through, through my sobriety, uh, this arrogance. Uh, I'd say if, if I have a character defect that still, you know, causes trouble in my life today, it's arrogance and mm. sense of superiority to some people which I'm constantly reminded is not true, you know, but uh, it's always popping up. And um, so I, I went to this place and I, I learned a bunch of good things there. The first was, you know, I walk into there and I'm like, oh my God, who are these people? 
And by the end, I realized they're me. Mm. These people with all different backgrounds. I was in there with all different kinds of people. Uh, that at first, I think I have nothing in common with this person. And by the end of that four months that I was in the halfway house, I realized they're no different than me. Mm. You know, they've all, even though they've all, they had way less advantages than me. They had all the same feelings as me. They'd all been to a similarly dark place and had similar uh, journey with their feelings. And on that level, I could connect with them. And so that was a really helpful lesson that I'm going to walk into a room and feel like I am not like these people. And by the end, I'll walk out going, oh my gosh, I'm exactly the same as these people. And that, 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 that's a lesson I've learned hundreds or thousands of times since then. And mm. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Anyway, I met a, I met a woman uh, when I had four or five months sober. I, I, boy meets girl in AA campus. <laughs> and she had a bit, little more time than me. Very, very attractive woman. And we had a, had a fling. And uh, I, mean, I don't usually tell this story, but, uh, and, and for me, you know, I, I, they say no relationships in the first year, which of course I ignored. And oddly, I think it, it helped me. Yeah. You know, even though it only lasted a month and my heart got broken a little bit, uh, I was like, this could, it just sort of, uh, the lesson I drew from it was, hey, you know, you, you can still have some fun sober. You yeah. Know I mean? And I did have a lot of fun with her. And uh, she's sober now. She's still a friend of mine. I really, really love her. But uh, she, uh, they, um, you weren't allowed to be, I, I left the halfway house to pursue that relationship actually. Ended up living back in my parents' basement again. <laughs> and uh, where I was for, uh, doing carpentry and probably digging ditches again. <laughs> but uh, were, you, were you digging ditches with a shovel? Yeah. <laughs> Just imagining nowadays, they, I mean, they little track hose, right? Yeah, though we didn't have anything like that. Then. <laughs> this was a long time ago. But, uh, and I ended up moving back into Philadelphia. I, you know, I, when I went into AA and I, that whole thing of being sort of superior to people or separating myself from the group. I mean, it's not always, I think it's all my, was all my pride and ego at work, you know, kind of evaluating everybody, seeing how I fit with people, feeling superior to some, inferior mm -hmm. to others, never the same as anybody else. Uh, uh, always ranking and comparing and in that way like do you not think feeling at ease uh, with people do you think that's a natural instinct I do yeah yeah I think uh, I'm actually working on a thing right now on pride and humility and I think that's pride at work as, as, uh, how do I how do I how do I rank yeah where do you setting? sit in yeah. the hierarchy exactly of the group and as long as I'm doing that, I'm not on the same level as everybody else. I'm, oh, I'm alone. Huh. I'm always better than some and worse than others and never on the same level mm. as anybody else. And that's where I really want to be today is a friend among friends and a worker among workers, one in a family, you know. But, uh, but that's not how my mind was operating at the time. And I was still, I really fought the God thing. I was an atheist. The, the atheist, uh, 
I mean, it kept me drinking the whole fear of, uh, or whole uh, anti-God thing uh, kept me drinking for those seven months when I easily could have died. And I think hundreds of thousands or millions of people have probably died of alcoholism who thought they couldn't get AA because of the God thing. I came in, of course, nobody cared what I thought about God. <laughs> Uh, if they cared, it was only like, I hope he eventually comes around to it and uh, feels comfortable here. Uh, yeah. Because they out of love for me, not out of uh, any kind of like needing to convince anybody that they were right about anything. But, uh, but uh, anyway, I, I fought it. And I, fa I, found, I found I was really uncomfortable before and after the meetings. Like I just didn't know how to make small talk with people. I'd watch people who were chatting and laughing and I just, how do they do that? What do they think? How do they know what to say to anybody? You know, I just was at a loss. And, uh, so I didn't have a ton of friends. I loved going to meetings though. I liked being in the meeting and I felt comfortable in that setting. And I, I, I remember I, I used to, sh I loved to share and, uh, I would share and get everybody laughing and, uh, I go, oh man, that was so funny and deep <laughs> what you just said, and uh, and then uh, and wait for people to come up to me after the meeting and say, oh man, you're so funny and deep, and like nobody would, like I I, I just like what is wrong with me, you know? Why don't? Uh, and then I realized it was funny. These two things happened around the same time. I was at a meeting. It was a third step meeting. People were talking about praying and how they God helped them and all this stuff and. There were a few of us with our arms folded going like, what is this bullshit God, you know? And, uh, and I just came away from that meeting thinking, you know, God, all those people who are talking about praying just seem so much happier than you are. And, uh, and I said, well, why don't I just try it? Uh, so I got down on my knees. I went home. I was living alone at the time. That was a very logical thought. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was. It was. And I, I said, well, I don't believe in God, but maybe I'll try praying just to see if anything happens. Uh, and I got on my knees and I like looked over my shoulder to make sure nobody was watching me, even though I was living alone. You know, I got down and I prayed. And you know what? I felt better. I felt better doing it. I felt better humbling myself, even though I had no idea what, it, who or what I was praying to, if anything other than myself. So I became a praying atheist at that point, mm. and, uh, and it made me feel better. I mean, that's just like a scientific observation. Yeah. I did the experiment of praying, and I found out that it made me feel better, so I kept doing it. And, uh, and right around then, I had the notion that, well, maybe at the end of the meeting, instead of like waiting for everybody to come up to me, because I was so funny and deep, I should go up to other people and like me put my hand out and, and welcome new people and uh, get it going from me out to the world instead of waiting for the world mm. to come to me. And that, and that was a thought that hadn't come to you before you started praying and meditating or? Somehow not at all. Like <laughs> it just never crossed my mind, you know. And, and, and I guess it was, a, it was a sign that I had become a tiny bit less self-centered, you know. Mm. Uh, that, seeing that I needed to give something if I wanted to, to receive. And uh, almost the first guy I reached out to became one of my very best friends. And uh, we, st we went out for coffee. And that started a period where I w ran around the, s 
down to, I was back in Philadelphia at this point out of my parents basement I was living in Center City Philadelphia and I <clears throat> a whole pack of us there were maybe 30 or 40 young people uh, in AA at that down there and we just ran around and we go we go to meetings together then we go out for coffee or pizza or ice cream or go to the movies and uh, we just laugh and laugh and laugh and uh, have so much fun and I, I remember f having the feeling then, like, this is as much fun as I ever had drinking, maybe more. And uh, what a gift that was to have yeah. that kind of fellowship with people. Um, and they really saved me, you know, because I still, you know, didn't, wasn't really doing the program. Or, uh, and, I, and I just have nothing but love uh, for those people in that time in my life. Most of them are still sober. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that. Amazing. And we're still friends on Facebook anyway, not if, even if we don't see each other very often. But uh, I went on and, um, you know, I did do a half-assed version of the steps at that time. I was, I was unsponsored, so I, I did it. I did the steps how I thought they should be done. I did them off the wall. You know, I read them on the wall in the meeting and, and came up with what I thought they meant. You, it's interesting okay. to, to, to think though, like, so you stay, you, this was, how long did you stay sober this way? Oh, a long time. So there was something yeah. you did or something that happened that helped you stay sober all that time, right? I mean, it's like... Totally. Well, the, the way I see God now, yeah. the way my understanding of God is now, I was, I had access to it. Yeah. I just didn't call it God. Yeah. I was honest and that really helped me. Mm. You know what I mean? I didn't, uh, I was pretty good at being honest and telling on myself and that, that will get you in touch with a higher power, whether you call it a higher power or not. And who know. would you yeah. share your, I'd share it in meetings, share it with friends. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share my little experience with the steps. So I, I, uh, I thought step, you know, reading it off the wall, uh, step one was, Admitting you were an alcoholic. I knew I was alcoholic. I didn't have any trouble admitting that. There's a bit more to step one than I really realized the whole part about your life being unmanageable. And that applies to whether it's drunk or sober. I didn't really, I didn't really put much time into that thought. But I skipped two and three because those were God steps. But I did a fourth step, how I thought it should be done, which was all the stuff, all my secrets, all the things I didn't want people to know about me most of which were sexual things, mm -hmm. you know, that I'd either done or thought about doing or, uh, and I went and I told those to my therapist. I shared everything. I didn't hold anything back, everything I'd done. Uh, some of which, you know, really made me cringe to think about it. And she like, of course, uh, received it very well. And I go, that's it. That's all you did, you know? <laughs> and I walked out of there like high as a kite, feeling just great. Mm. And to me, I would say I was feeling uh, the power of God. I was yeah. walking hand in hand on the spirit of the universe, although that's not how I characterized it at the time. But it did re feel really good to get those uh, secrets off my chest, you know. And I'm a, I mean, do that. If I have any uh, suggestions for people out there, get those secrets out. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares what you did, you know. But I, uh, I went on and uh, I, I, that was so good. I went and told them to a bunch of other people, all my secrets. And uh, 
and I found that they too had done similar things or worse and uh and so that was a hugely freeing experience uh and so I I went on and that was my fifth step you know talking to my therapist and I went on and um Skip six and seven because I didn't really know what those were about. You know, I was self-sponsored at the time. Yeah. But I did want to. I, I did make a list of people that I felt guilty or that I would want to hide from if I saw them on the street. <laughs> and I went and told them I was sorry to the extent that I could find them. And that felt good. And I and at that point, you know, I had two years sober. At that point, I sort of felt like I'd got all the steps could give me, and I really focused on and at that point I was like I really wanted to focus on getting happy which I thought would be all the things that we're told will make us happy you know getting married having kids getting a job making good money you know material success in this world and so I got about the business of doing all those things and I I, I like to say and I, I never really had a conscious thought of it but but I always had a feeling of emptiness inside of me, like, like I'm holding my hand, like my solar plexus, like, like there's a void or an emptiness there, that feeling of being less than or not enough or uh, a hole inside of me, which I now know can only really be filled uh, with a felt connection with a higher power. That is, it can only be filled that way if I don't want to wreck the rest of my life in, in finding and in, in filling it and that that, that they call it the god-shaped hole uh, but i i didn't know that at the time I, I didn't seem that that would never have crossed my mind if nobody had told me about it you know that that, that what i was missing was a felt connection with a higher power but so it, when i was drinking it sure felt like uh an alcohol deficiency like i alcohol would make that feeling go away and so I got after it as hard as I could until it almost killed me when I first got sober unfortunately I have news for everybody that it doesn't go away from not drinking either in fact it sometimes it's worse because mm. there's no quick fix to it uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that feeling of something being <clears throat> missing or emptiness uh, leads a lot of people back to drinking and it, it could have for me too but I, but I, but I first, uh, my first thought was, well, I clearly I need a girlfriend, you know, that that will fix it. And so I chased women around and um, finally met and married a woman that I met in the program. And I was like, well, that wasn't it. You know, I still had the feeling of emptiness. It doesn't make it go away. It can be, feel like it for a time when you have a, when you're in love, you have a crush mm. on somebody that that sort of fills that spot, mm. doesn't it? Uh, but uh, it's like a crescent wrench. Yeah, <laughs> you know it works, but it's not quite good enough for the job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and it, and, it, and it works until it doesn't, yeah. right? And until then, you bust your knuckles yeah. on something, you're like, hey. well, and I would, I would <laughs> chase women and find someone. Oh, I'm so in love with her, and then some time would pass. Oh, that's just not her. So I drop, drop that relationship and chase another one, and then so I can see how people fall into yeah love addiction, you know. And that, uh, but that wasn't it. And then, and then I, I think, uh, and I never really had this thought consciously. I'm just sort of yeah. looking back on it. But, but I think I thought, well, I, I never finished my education and I feel, maybe I feel less than, uh, 
because I, I'm, I didn't finish college, you know. So I went back to college, um, did really well. It's easy when you're not drinking and you're older. Uh, and I actually went all the way through and got a PhD. I have a PhD in geology. And, uh, and I remember on the day I got the diploma, I was like, oh, that wasn't it. You know? mm. <laughs> and, uh, and I eventually uh, got, found myself married uh, with a beautiful woman, with two beautiful children, um, living in the country in a beautiful house with a cool job, making good money. All the things I would have thought would have made me happy. Uh, and I never felt emptier. I mean, I'd have moments, I, I, and that's not to say it was all horrible. I loved my kids. We had some great times, and uh, but I would ha go into periods of like, <clears throat> God, what is missing? You know, what yeah. is wrong with me? I just really felt like something was missing. And of course, it, I'd become completely self-centered, totally focused on me, my career, making good money, getting things for myself. Uh, yeah. That would that I thought would make me happy, and the more the more I got, the emptier, the worse the emptiness felt, you know. And I think a lot of people might have drank at that. Point. I had over twenty years sober. I'd go to meetings and cry sometimes. I'd be uh, just because, like, what is wrong with me, you know? And I think a lot of people do drink at that point. Mm. Or uh, it's lucky I didn't like hurt my back and end up getting a bunch of painkillers because I think that's how a lot of people go out. Uh, I've, I, I have a friend who killed himself at that point, yeah. you know, because, and he had a lot of time, a lot of understanding of, he had way more sp understanding of spirituality than I wow. did, but he reached that place of emptiness. And I've heard that story more than once, you know. Anyway, I w a few things happened then. I was, um, I was at a meeting where they read the promises, you know, we are painstaking about this phase of our development. We'll be amazed before we're halfway through. And they read through them. And I, by the time they read through them, I was like, I'm not getting any of those. And I've been to like 5,000 AA meetings at this point and sober for 20 plus years. And I just do not feel that way at all. Mm. And yeah, I, I later learned you don't get the promises from not drinking. You get the promises from working the steps, giving of yourself. Uh, giving back, helping other people, really working the program. That's what gives us the promises. It's, it's from a felt connection with God and other people. It's not from uh, not drinking. At any rate, I didn't know that at the time. And then I went, went, I was sitting in a therapist's office and telling her my, all my problems. And I realized, my God, I said the same damn thing like 20 years ago. And I haven't really changed at all, mm. you know? So I, from there, I went, uh, I was working, you know, had a job as a geologist, part of which was doing consulting work uh, around different locations around the world. So I found myself in Saudi Arabia, of all places, at an AA meeting there. And I cried at the meeting. <laughs> and this guy got up in my face after the meeting. Uh, I'd seen him. He was always talking about the big book and how much that helped him. So I knew I should avoid him at all costs. <laughs> And uh, he got up in my face after the meeting and he said, what step are you on? And I said, give me a break, man. I did the steps, you know. <laughs> so this, is, <laughs> this is like what, 2006? This is uh, 2010. Okay. And so I, uh, I had 24 years sober. Okay. 23. Anyway, he, uh, 
I, I, he, he, you know, I could see where he was going, that he thought I should be working the steps. Wow. I, I, I walked out of that going, I hate that guy. <laughs> Nazi fundamentalist jackass, you know. But after a couple of days of thinking about it, I was like, yeah, he's definitely an asshole, but, but he seems much happier than you are. He's got way less time, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you should see what he's got going on. So I went back to the next meeting. I asked him to take me through the steps, and he said yes. He said, he said well, if you hadn't asked, I was going to inform you that I would be taking you through the steps. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, so I, worked, I went through the big book with this guy, which is something I'd never done. And I think I was just out of ideas, you know. I, I, I reached a, an emotional bottom. I, uh, everything I had tried to, uh, find, to feel right had failed, mm. you know. And so I, I was willing to believe that... Uh, the first requirement is that we believe that every, any life run on self will... will will not be a success, you know, and I had reached that point where I was like, yeah. I'm out of ideas. I'm at the end of myself. Where, where if like, if anybody objectively looked at your life, they would say, here's a successful man. Exactly. <laughs> here's the poster boy for AA. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I, you know, I had all that success, but I couldn't feel it inside. I didn't, mm. and it, I, I, I think you can, you can be successful. You can have money and be rich and, uh, have a great job and, beautiful things and all that uh, as long and, and enjoy it all as long as you also have a felt connection with the higher power and other people yeah but I was missing that that part and That's so what, you, that I could have had a billion dollars and I probably would have felt even emptier mm. you know uh, without that so you that's got to come first felt connection with the higher power and, and other people anyway we walked we went through the steps and I resisted you know, I, I really had to fight myself because right? my my judgment and my arrogance was kept popping up. But for some reason, I was willing to listen to this guy. And we got to the step two. Um, well, first he informed me that I was stuck on the dash in step one, that I knew I was powerless over alcohol, but I still thought I could manage my own life. So he said, you're at step zero. Mm. I was like, what? <laughs> But, uh, but it, was, it turned out he was absolutely right. I had been managing, attempting to manage my whole life. So this guy was an American? No, he was actually, he was of Indian descent, like uh -huh. Indian from India. He got sober, he grew up in England, but he got sober in Australia. So he was like this, and I met him in Saudi Arabia. So he was like this weird combo of uh, things. But he was really a big believer in the AA program and awesome. he, he saved my life this guy saved my life damn Steve thank you Steve but uh he um so for yeah he told me I was on step zero which was a humbling experience but I could kind of I guess I could kind of see where he was going and now that I look back he, he was totally right I was stuck on the dash in step one uh so we got through that he, he actually took me through we 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 went through the bedevilments on page 52, middle paragraph, second sentence of the big book. And I, I shared earlier with you that I didn't feel any of the promises in my life, but we got to those bedevilments. I was like, I feel ding, all. ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. That's exactly how I feel. And I think that is, that is the natural state for an alcoholic who's not drinking, who doesn't have a spiritual connection, hmm. you know, is to, we'll end up feeling bedeviled. Yeah. And, um, and every one of those was true for me. Anyway, uh, 
So he convinced me, you know, that my problem was the same problem that other people had. Uh, I've always felt different, like my problems are different. But that reading that, I was like, oh, wow, actually, I do feel exactly like that. So that opened my mind a bit. And then we got to step two, when I was still an atheist at this point. He asked me, well, what do you believe? And I had a quote uh, from Abraham Lincoln uh, that I really liked. He said, when I do good, I feel good. And when I do bad, I feel bad. And that is my religion. Abraham Lincoln said that. Mm. I was very proud of that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Thought you were going to blow his mind? Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> oh, he's going to have a big problem with this one. Oh. And, and he's like, that'll work. Yeah. That's fine. Awesome. I was like, what? I was waiting for a fight, you know? <laughs> And then, he, and then he took me to some places in the big book that really changed everything for me. I, I, uh, there are two, two places where it's very clear. Uh, it says on page 55 uh, about God, where to find God. It said, we found the great reality deep down within us. And in the last analysis, it's only there that God may be found. Mm. Deep within every man, woman, and child. And I, that got through to me a bit. I was like, oh, man, that's like that voice that said, call AA. Wow. Remember way back when I was drinking? And uh, I said, that counts as God? And he goes, yeah. He said, oh, wow. I mean, I can pray to that? And he said, yeah. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, I don't have to skip any steps. And I like felt immediately better. And there's another line. I can't really actually remember if it was that one or the one in the spiritual appendix, you know, page 567. It says, uh, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they soon identify with a power greater than themselves. And when that sank in, an unsuspected inner resource, it's like something within you again. And that that was the thread that had gone through all the spiritual awakenings was that people found something within them. Mm. Man, as soon as that like clicked in for me, I was like, I felt so much better. I, did, I don't know. Everything changed for me that day wow. uh, when I found that. And I stopped battling God and I realized it's an experience. It's not an intellectual concept. It is when you feel the thing. Yeah. When you feel that thing inside of you, it's more like an intuition or a feeling than it is a, an intellectual concept. Uh, I felt immediately better. And then I, could be, I, I learned, you know, then, I, then the big book looked like a different book after that. Once I, <laughs> every, word, every sentence almost read differently once I'd had that experience, that felt experience of something inside of me. Yeah. And I did like immediately feel better. And it does, when I do, I feel it right now talking to you, Andy, like when I have that feeling of, of being connected to a higher power, it fills that place where I can feel emptiness at times yeah. with like a warm, glowing, loving sort of feeling. And when I have that feeling... I feel connected to a higher power, but just as importantly, I feel connected to you and other people. Yeah. Like I walk down the street, I'm like, these are all my brothers and sisters. Where when I'm empty, I'm like, oh, I'm better than this guy. I'm not as good as that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and uh, and that, that is the feeling. That feeling of connection is the feeling I was chasing in drugs, alcohol, and other things. You know, yeah. the feeling of being part of. 
I, I can remember a time when I was drinking where I was, my friend Peter, and I had just met him, and I just loved this guy. And we were standing in a bar, standing in front of the jukebox, arm in arm, screaming Rolling Stone songs at the top of our lungs, you know? Ah, yeah. And it, I just like, I have arrived. Like that feeling of like, I, I'm there, I'm where I want to be. Well, that's the same feeling I get, I got from a felt connection with a higher power, working with other people, following the program. Uh, and that is the feeling I was chasing in drugs, alcohol, and other things, a feeling of connection, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what the AA program has brought me. Although it's not going to kill me. Yeah. It'll only make my life better to do it, you know? Yeah. And, and I also so. find that, like, drugs and alcohol give me that, but it's also cut. It's not like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not it's like true. the pure, it's not yeah. the pure uncut stuff that I get with, like, being sober and having that experience. Exactly, you know? man. And you have to be in the zone, too. Like, not can't be like too early in the night before yeah. you haven't had enough and it can't be later in the night when you're too wasted yeah too. sobriety yeah. allows me to fully experience that exactly 100 yeah. percent. It's, it's it's better you hear that and you hear people say you're gonna have more fun you're gonna enjoy yourself even more and i didn't believe that no at all no that sounded like happy talk to me until yeah. i had it you totally, know man. and i, and I totally. remember you talking about like going dancing and i had that you know when you were early in sobriety but like, and I had an experience where like early in sobriety, I went out dancing and I could not believe that I was having as much fun <laughs> with these sober people, sober that I was having at that time. And it blew my mind. So true, man. I still yeah. love to dance. I'm an old man now, but I still love <laughs> to go dancing and uh, singing songs with other people. And, uh, and I can feel that. And then I, and it goes on and I, and I just walk home thinking, oh, what a great night uh, that was. And I wake up thinking, oh, what a great night I have. And I, I didn't, have, I don't have to be embarrassed about anything I ended up doing. Yeah. I could wake up in a dry bed with nice sheets on me, you know. But uh, yeah, man. Oh, it's, it was. Uh, but that experience, you know, like getting past that, uh, my my doubt and prejudice about God, and and finding something that worked for me. And I keep it on those very simple terms of like, it's a felt experience of something within me. I don't, I have no idea if it's connected to anything else. It feels like it's connected to something else. And I don't, I don't take it any further than that. Mm. As long as that's, it doesn't matter to me. I, I'm out of the debating game about, yeah. about, about what, what else there is there. But I, but I, and, and it's interesting talking to God. You and I have had this conversation before. It's interesting talking to people who've had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. Almost none of them can tell you what God is. Yeah. You know? But, they, but they're more sure than ever that there is something there. Yeah. But they can't tell you what it is. That's yeah. it. Not yeah. knowing is kind of part of it, too. Yeah. And, good with, and being good with not knowing. It doesn't yeah. matter to me doesn't matter to me. I want to have that feeling of, of being part of something bigger. And the AA program brings me that. Yeah. And to I, me, that's, that's the higher power thing. I heard this quote in a meeting once. And I'm right, I already told you about it. But, and it really resonated with me. And it was, uh, what if there is no God, but there exists infinite benefit in believing in one? And that hit me so hard in the chest. I was like, wow. That's what I've been thinking. Right on, man. You know? That's exactly right. Yeah. Makes me almost want to cry. It's crazy. <laughs> who, and then who cares? If it, it doesn't yeah. matter to me. I'm <laughs> going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I think 
uh, even if we are not all connected, act like we are. Yeah. Act like you are, that we're all one. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's how I try to approach it. Like if, I'm all, if we're all one, if I forgive you, if you've hurt me, I, if we're all one, I'm really forgiving myself. Mm-hmm. If I hold a resentment against you, I'm really holding it against myself. Mm. So acting as if we're all one, it only makes sense to forgive. Yeah. You know what I mean? If we're all one, helping you is helping me. Yeah. If we're separate, oh, I'm just wasting my time <laughs> helping you. So act as if we're all one and then, it, and then and let that be my guide for how to live, mm. you know. Go act under the assumption that we are all one and you'll feel like you're part of the oneness. Yeah. You know? and, uh, and it doesn't matter to me whether it's actually true. You know, people will get into quantum physics and all that stuff and I don't, I don't bother with it because it, it's just going to be an argument, you know. But yeah. uh, act as if I'm part of, if, as if we're all one and I'll feel like we're yeah. all one. And that's the feeling I, I want. That's what I want to have, you know. It's pra- very practical. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then the next thing that he really helped me with was we got to step three, and there's some writing on, on uh, I am definitely the actor who wants to be the director. Uh, and that's still my problem today. But, uh, and I, you know, I just forget. But, mm. uh, but there's a line on 62 where it says, so our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so, something like that. So this idea that I am creating all my own trouble. And when we got to that, I was like, yeah, maybe for you people, but not for me. I got real problems, you know. (laughs) And I didn't believe it when we read that. But after I got through my fourth and fifth step with him, I looked back on on it and I realized, oh my gosh, I was doing it all to myself. Mm. I couldn't see it. All that misery I was in was all self-created. But I, 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 I could have passed a lie detector test once again that it was other people doing it to me. It was my wife, it was my boss, yeah. it was not having enough money, it was the politicians that I disagreed with, all these outside conditions that were causing my misery. Every, on every case, it was me doing it to myself. Yeah. And I couldn't see it. But doesn't it like also like realizing that the problems of, are of my own making also in a way gives you some agency and power to do something about it, right? It's the key to a happy life, yeah. I really believe, because if it's me doing it to myself, I can do something about it. Yeah. If it's all these other people doing it to me. I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to manage and direct and get yeah. other people to act how I think they need to yeah. in order for me to be happy, which is never going to happen. And, and, and it wouldn't matter if they did because it was never the problem in the first place. It was all coming from me. Yeah. That's where the change has to take place. It looks like the problem and the solution lie outside of me. And it really looks like that. I'm not lying when I say that. But the truth is they both lie within me. The problem is within me and the solution is within me. Yeah. (laughs) Without a teacher, I never would have known that. I never would have seen it. I never would have figured it out by myself. I needed to be taught and guided. (laughs) So uh, that that was a huge... uh, And and that 
very little uh, other than more than that has changed my life for the better having that knowledge and i still fall for it there's still days where i'm like oh these people and all they're <laughs> doing to me and i can't believe i'm being mistreated this way and then i and then i wake up you know an hour or a day later i'm like oh my god i, was, I fell back into it i was doing it all to myself again and that's the that's the bondage of self for me is when i'm so sure that I'm I'm right and I'm the good guy who's leaving it on the field for everybody else and I'm just being really badly treated here and misunderstood, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's usually what it, the bondage of self looks for me looks mm. like for me. It's like I'm the good guy. Self pity. Yeah, doing everything right and and then I uh, uh, and people are just complaining and I'm I'm pushing the rock up the hill by myself and everybody else is just watching and telling me how I'm doing it wrong. You know what I mean? But, uh, anyway, so that was a huge shift for me. And then, uh, and then finally, uh, the, another thing that really helped was, uh, was, uh, when we got to resentments and it says, uh, Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they like ourselves were sick too. And we really spent a lot of time on that line. And notice it doesn't say that we did not like the symptoms and the way these disturbed us. They were sick. Yeah. It says they, like ourselves, yeah. were sick too. Mm -hmm. So that puts me on the same level as everybody yeah. else. It doesn't put me above them. Like, oh, I'll dispense some forgiveness yeah. to you poor little things who are beneath people. me. Yeah, poor They're sick just sick. people. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've just yeah. seen that so many times used like in that way. You know, like, yeah. oh, he's just sick. He's untreated. He's very... <laughs> but it's he, like me, is like untreated myself. too. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, that put, and I just had this sudden realization of like... I always thought like life's really hard for me but it's really easy for everybody else. And they always knew exactly what mm. they're doing and how it affects me. So when they hurt me, they damn well know they're hurting me because <sighs> they're always thinking about me like and how, you know. And uh, I realized, oh my gosh, like everybody is more self-centered than they realized. Everybody struggles with the spiritual malady. Everybody gets separated from God and other people and acts in ways that harm other people. But, but they're really just lost they're not doing it out of any evil yeah. intent they're just lost they like myself are hurting yeah, yeah. they're fellow and i started to see everybody as like a fellow sufferer mm. instead of uh someone who just hurt me you know because yeah. they could you know and it just softened the world and i just began i just had so much more compassion for people and it really made me just want to forgive everybody immediately when that thought really sunk in like we're all, everybody's lost everybody's doing their best with how reality appears to them at that moment, you know. So so this guy took you directly to these spots in the book? Like or, well, no, or, we or were was working as you were going. As as we were going, oh. I had these aha moments. Okay. So they were Yeah. Yeah, you could all, call each of them a little bit of a spiritual awakening. Yeah. I thought he was like I know the yeah. exact parts in the book that are going to make you like like change your mind or something yeah but he just read it with you yeah. it wasn't like a like a okay open the book to this i've had guys like I, I know guys that like will be like go to this page knocking now flip go to this page you know type thing yeah you know no and i well and i and sometimes when i'm working with a guy and taking him through the book i'm like ah oh. We're getting to that part where I had the awakening. He's going to have it too. And then for them, it's no big deal. But then some other line yeah. changes their whole life. You know? True that. Uh, 
So I have, I, I've learned to like not have expectations around that, like the same aha moments aren't going to happen at the same time for everybody, you know, mm. but, but I do like to emphasize those because I, they were really helpful to me and that's my experience. But, mm. And then finally he, the, Steve told me, you know, we were still in Saudi Arabia at this point, but I was headed home back to the U.S. And he said, well, when, I, when you go home, I want you to carry a strong message of your experience here, you know, and uh, look to help people. I was mm. like, okay, Steve. <laughs> so we went back and I started sharing in meetings of, and I really did feel better, I'm sure. I, I looked different. My eyes looked different, you know. I was on fire. Yeah. You know? And so I was sharing, you know, I went through the big book steps with them. I had this incredible experience, you know, working out of the big book. Suddenly all these guys wanted me to sponsor them. Like I was getting a new sponsee every week and I'd gone 20 years and I maybe had four or five sponsees prior to that. And I, to be honest, I mainly hoped they wouldn't call me. <sighs> I was like, I got nothing for you, man. <laughs> you know, but after that, Steve was just like, well, just, I was like, I don't know what to do with them. He said, well, just do what I did. Just read the book with them and, and try to make sure they understand the directions and have them do the things you did. And uh, that's what I did. Mm. And there were whole parts of the book I had no experience with and no connection to. But I found that every time I did it, I would have an experience. Yeah. I would feel better. And I watched guys have spiritual awakenings right in front of me. I remember the first guy it was that changed me as much as anything you know watching another guy change like he had he had he had hated his father for like 40 years and i just watched him melt when he suddenly realized like my dad was suffering he wasn't he wasn't doing that to me mm. he probably would have done uh, anything he could to make me be okay but he was hurting at the time wow. when he did that and he just had this, he was suddenly able to see it from his father's point of view, where the whole, until then, it would only be like, he, what he did to me. Yeah. And suddenly, when he got a more God-centered perspective, he was able to see it from someone else's point of view. And it just changed him right yeah. in front of me. And then I was like, my gosh, this stuff is powerful, you know? And it became like, all I really wanted to do was help. Yeah. I mean, I did my job and hung out with my kids and did <laughs> other things too. But it became like... Uh, I really got locked into wanting to help people all the time then. Wow. And this is 24 years into your sobriety. Yeah. What an amazing yeah. story. No, it took me um, some are, some are uh, more stubborn than others, you know. And I'm lucky I didn't drink or die. Yeah. I did drink or die. But, but I do, you know. That's why I think you can't discredit those 20 years. There's something you did that connected you to no, God, right? So exactly. Yeah. You know, and I, I went to meetings and I, I did some service here and there, mm -hmm. but I had gotten really self-centered in those last few years where I, you know, I really, yeah. I was really all focused on my career and what are people thinking about me? And the more I was like that, the emptier and more lost I felt. Um, oh. But yeah, but there were still moments, you know, where I have love of family, love of, uh, uh, and connection with people. So how much time do we have left? Uh, about 10 minutes. Oh, we're good. And uh, I, um, so I went back and I started helping people. And then my sponsor, Steve, he, he led these 12-step workshops, uh, mainly in the Middle East, but I knew he did. And he offered to come over and do one in New York where I was living at the time. And he did it. And like 50 people came and people really loved it. Although I thought he was... A, I was watching him do it and I thought 
he was a little tough on people, you know, he's a, he was a hard ass kind of guy. <laughs> and he made a few women cry and thing. And I was just like, and I just had the thought after watching him do it, you know, maybe I could do that, but, uh, without making anybody cry, you know? Uh, and so actually I, I went to a men's retreat after that experience. And I was at that retreat and we were asked to think of two words to describe us. And share them with the group. And for some reason, I thought the words that came to me were, I'm a teacher and a leader. I was like, shit. I don't want to. That, those are the words <laughs> that came to that? me. I don't want to be it's that. Responsibility. My skin was crawling. <laughs> and all the other guys were getting up going, oh, I'm a solid guy. I'm dependable. And yeah. I was like, why can't it be that, you know? But I, went, I was at this retreat, I was like, I'm supposed to be honest. And I had been thinking of doing these workshops, mm. you know. And yeah. uh, so I got up and I said, I'm a teacher and a leader. And God, my skin was crawling. It just felt so awkward and awful to say that, you know. But those are, those are gifts I've been, I was given, you know. Uh, I am a good teacher. And I think it's not... It would not be humble of me to hide that, to keep that to myself. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I think humility is giving, is, is really accurately seeing who you are mm. and then using the gifts you've been given and trying your best with the gifts you've been given. Yeah. It's not making yourself small so yeah. other people don't feel bad. Or it's also you not know? like finding where you're at in the hierarchy and being in, in, in like being happy or upset with it. It's just like being where you're at, like finding out yeah. where you, where you stand and like, and leaning into that and accepting it and realizing that that's who you are. And that's beautiful too. You know, exactly, man. Yeah. Get, you work with the gifts you've been given, whatever they are. Yeah. And, uh, huh. And use those in the service of other people. Yeah. But don't do it for yourself. Mm. Don't have it be all about me and what people are thinking about me. But like, how can I add? How, what can I pack into the stream of life with, with yeah. the gifts I've been given? Mm. And so I did, you know, I have a good, I have an ability to explain things that, that people seem to respond to. So, and anyway, I ended up starting to offer these workshops for uh, taking people through the 12 steps out of the big book, which is nobody was more surprised than me that it, that that's what happened, you know, mm -hmm. but for the last uh, 10 years, I've been doing that. I did the first one in November, 2012. People responded really well. They wanted me to do it again. I kept doing it. And now I've done it about 70 times. Uh, it's weekend. It's a weekend workshop usually where people go through all 12 Incredible. steps Incredible. a lot of times. People love it. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, we did it on Zoom uh, about 20 times. We did it on Zoom and that was a huge gift. It, it, when the pandemic came, I was like, all right, well, we can't really go to meetings. And, but, how, but how can I still be of service? And then the Zoom thing popped up. I was like, oh, I'll do this. So that was really, that's been a great gift. And um, it, uh, it really has helped me uh, stay connected to a higher power. Uh, and, uh, I, I, but I still you know, go to the meetings as much as I can. I love AA. I think I love it as much now as I ever did, even in the first year, maybe more, maybe more. Yeah. 
And I, I um, it's funny, like if once you tap right, if you're tapped in, it's as good as it ever is, you know? Totally, man. It's never like, like if I'm doing, like if I stop doing it, then it could become inconvenient and kind of like I'll lose interest. But if I'm in, it's always great. So true. So yeah. dependably great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can't think. There was a guy in, in the AA here in New Orleans who had learned he was dying of cancer, who I saw speak. Mm. And, and, and people were like, oh, well, what's... And he was going to die. He was given six months to live. I don't know if he's died at this point. He may have. But, but I saw him speak, and, he, and people were like... He said, but people, what's on your bucket list? What do you want to do mm. before you die? He said, well, the three things I love the most are spending time with my wife fishing and going to AA meetings. So I think I'll spend time with my wife fish and go to AA meetings, he said. Yeah. I thought that was really beautiful, man. Yeah. And I, I think that's what I'd want to do if I was in a yeah. similar situation. That's Frank. Yeah, yeah, Frank. There's an episode of him on here. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a legend that yeah. guy was. What a beautiful man. Yeah. Yeah. Did he pass away? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Well, but you could see it coming because he was getting up and speaking yeah. at all these different meetings. And you could see it was a struggle for him, but he so wanted to be there and carry that message. And uh, that was that was that that touched me in a deep place. Well, that, for sure, that, that, that meeting at, at Men's was one of the was one of the highlights of my sobriety in the sense that, like, I really felt something, you know, a connection. It, I was inspired. I was moved very deeply. It was incredible. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I felt the same way. And uh, yeah, I remember early in my sobriety, I used to talk to people about, oh yeah, I guess if I knew if I was dying, I'd just like go out, start doing heroin or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, numb myself out. But uh, but I think I, I now where I sit now, there's nothing I'd rather do than keep going to AA and help trying to pass a message that might be helpful to somebody else because that's the thing that makes me feel part of yeah i'm sure frank felt part of right till he died wow. because he because he was showing up yeah seeing wow. what he could add what he what he could and that's the whole key if i go to aa and just sit on the sides and don't participate i can still feel pretty alone if i yeah. go and get in the middle of it and be active and be part of things I'll get that feeling that uh, is the feeling I was chasing in drugs, alcohol, and other things. So. Yeah. Hey, Andy, man, thanks yeah. so much for ha having me. No, dude, speak thank with you. This morning, it was a great morning. Yeah, and, uh, amazing. You, uh, you helped. You helped me today. Ah, well, you helped me too, for sure. Um, all right, thanks, man. All right, have a great day. 